It is so good to be here with you this morning, and it is so good to see each of you here. For those of you whom I have not yet met, uh, thanks for joining us, and stick around afterwards. I'd love to say hello and get to know you a little bit. For those of you who I have met before, welcome back. It's always good to see you. You bring me great joy. We have been, as a church, going through Romans, and we're today coming to chapter 6, where Paul writes some very encouraging and equally challenging truth for you and me. But to get here, we need to just barely back up to chapter 5. At the very end of chapter 5, after spelling out all of God's wrath and all of the reality that every one of us is sinful and deserves condemnation, but God's grace is a free gift. Better than that which condemns us, His grace is wonderful. Paul, he writes in chapter 5, verse 20, he says this, He says, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Look, as you and I are broken sinners, here in this place we say, come as you are, and it's okay to not be okay. We really mean that. You don't need to pick your life up and figure it out and have all the answers and look put together. You don't need to wipe all the tears from your eyes as you're coming into church. You can come in exactly as you are. And if your life is full of mess created by you or created by people who have wronged you, created by a world that simply is broken and you've done nothing to earn or deserve or cause your pain. Where sin increased, His grace abounded even more. We wholeheartedly believe that is those who are most desperate for grace, that find it as beautiful and freeing as it truly can be. Those who are most aware of their own imperfections and failures and hurts and pains, who are most able to receive healing. And where sin increases, grace abounds more and more. But sometimes in the church, not just here at the point, but as a whole, sometimes we get this a little bit backwards. We think that because grace abounds more and more, we therefore in Christ are free to do anything. We are free to have one too many drinks one too many times. We are free to gossip and slander because we know it's true the things we're saying. We are free to let our anger control us and lash out at those who hurt us because Christ, He'll forgive me. It's okay. We are free to all kinds of sinfulness. Paul, as he continues in chapter 6, speaks against this. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. And he begins with this rhetorical question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? If God grants us an abundance of mercy because of our sin, Should we pursue a crazy, reckless, sinful life? Should we dismiss the things that aren't that bad because they're really mostly okay? Who's it hurting anyway? Should we just justify all the problems? Say, it's fine, it'll be okay, don't worry about it. Paul, he answers his own question. He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Now, Before we continue, I just need to briefly explain where Paul's coming from. 
See, you and I are born sinful. Our very DNA, our very nature is prone to do what is wrong. And you and I, with our best efforts, can never do what is right. And even with our worst efforts, we usually can't do what is right. You and I are prone to hurt the people we love. Sometimes on purpose and sometimes entirely by accident. When Paul writes, should we continue in sin? Don't you know that we've died to sin? Sometimes there's a temptation to say, Paul means that if only you work harder and try harder, you can become a less sinful, sinless person. And in some church contexts, Paul's words are are taught in such a way that says, if you follow Jesus, you will prove it by becoming a better person. By becoming more of this good that you think you are. And this good comes from your own effort and your own work. And if you are still struggling with sin, you continue to have too many drinks, or you continue to speak harshly to your kids, or you continue to judge your boss for the things they say and do, or or you continue to look at things online that maybe you shouldn't be looking at. Sometimes there's a temptation to say, if you continue in these things, your faith must not be real, and you must not truly be a Christian. Before we continue, we need to start with one clear truth. No matter how hard you try, you will continue in your sin. Now, some of the sin that you live in today, you may learn over time to shake and to resist temptation. And you may learn to not do some of the things you do today. But that sin within you that drives you to do what you do today will always remain. So when Paul writes about dying to sin, he is in no way saying that you and I can be perfect. And if you ever go to a church, or if this church ever becomes a church that says you are perfect and therefore don't worry about it, or therefore worry all the more because maybe you just don't believe enough, quickly leave that church because your sinfulness will always reign in this life. I like the movie Weekend at Bernie's. Maybe you've seen it. If you haven't, it's ridiculous. They go to party with an older gentleman who has a lot of money and they find him dead. And so they carry his dead body around to make it look like he's still alive so that they can have the party they want to have, not knowing that there are people out to kill the man who see him thinking he's still alive and then it causes all kinds of craziness for them as they're seeking to just have a good time. And I like that as we get into the text a little more today. Because what Paul is about to describe is that you and I have died to our sinful self. But I think all of our life is a lot like that. There is this dead sinful nature within us that we continue to carry around thinking it'll be a lot of fun. We think that just a little bit more gossip will fill us with all the things we need to know. Just a little bit more rage because this person deserves it. Just a little bit more of whatever that sin is. And all we are doing is dragging around something that's dead that only weighs us down. See, Paul, he continues. He says this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In verse 3, he says, do you not know all of us who have been baptized? And there's a Greek grammar there that we don't really get in English that implies a past event with an ongoing present and future result. It continues to work in us something that started then. I like to compare it to saying, I was married on April 6, 2013. I continue to be married today. Because I'm married today, it continues to transform the way I think and the things I do and what I, how I live and who I love. And it continues to transform me because of that moment in the past. It's still a very big part of my present reality. Paul, he says, we have been baptized, not as this decision to follow Jesus, but as this gift of God. What He began then is continuing to have an effect in you today. Where He washed you and freed you and forgave you of your sin is continuing today to transform you. That you can walk in newness of life. That you can walk as somebody no longer dead in your sins, but alive in Christ. But the problem is for most of us, I think, we know a lot of Christians who don't look or act any different than the rest of the world. Now maybe they don't drink or they don't play cards or they don't do these legalistic things because that's what sinners do, but when it comes to their anxiety or their stress or their worry or the way they treat their neighbor, they act just like the rest of the world. And we look and say, where's the peace Jesus promised? Where's the love that He commanded? Where's the joy that He offered? It seems lacking for most of us. And I think most of us in our upbringing in the church were never truly taught what does this newness of life look like? What does it look like to recognize you will always be sinful and yet today before you is an opportunity? An opportunity to lean into what's already been done. You have died with Christ. You have been buried with Christ. He continues, For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, Paul, he's laying out this argument that our sin controls us. And he says we were at one point enslaved to sin. Picture that. Here in this country, we have a vision of slavery that is really heinous and evil. The, the understanding of slavery Paul had was a little different because they didn't have some of the same measure of slavery that we've experienced in our country's history. 
But still, to be enslaved is to be bound entirely to another. To their will and their desire to be submissive in all things, not out of honor and respect, but obligation and requirement. He says, don't you know we were at one time enslaved to sin? Your very thoughts and desires and longings were held captive by an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And no matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, you and I in our sin are stuck. But Paul, he says, this gift of baptism has joined you with Christ's death. Think about that for a moment. When you go into a Catholic church or a Lutheran church, some of them, or, or some Anglican churches, you may see Jesus hanging on the cross and the crucifix. It's not just an empty cross because they want to remember the crucifixion over and against the resurrection. Because it's in the crucifixion that we see all of our sin poured out. All of the wrath of God satisfied. It is there in His death that we begin to have life. It is in His death that you and I can find in all of our struggle and all of our sorrow and all of our turmoil something to cling to. An anchor that will never disappoint us. For He has already conquered death. And right now we live in this difficult tension of the now and not yet. Already you and I have died with Christ and are guaranteed to rise with Him. Not just eventually escaping this world and going to heaven. That's not the goal at all. But to live a life without sin. No longer enslaved to these chains that hold us back. No longer obligated to serve a master who's out to destroy us. You and I have been set free. And yet, in this time of waiting for His return, sin continues to reign. We continue to do what we don't want to do. In fact, Paul goes on in just a couple chapters to say that very thing. I don't do what I want to do, and what I don't want to do, I do, and I can't change that. And neither can you or me. We are still in this place where the old self, while dead, remains with us. And so we cling to our baptism and this promise that God has already done it all. And we will rise with Him. And as we cling to that, you and I are invited to see our life as Christ's life. Just as He died to sin, that He may live to, for God, we also every day are invited to die to ourselves. To humble ourselves and put ourselves as less. Not as less worthy or less beneficial. Not, wor not worth less in that you shouldn't take care of yourself. But to surrender all of our longings and our life and every part of who we are. That it may be for God. And the promise is that in this you and I will find newness of life. There is an invitation that the guilt and the shame and the condemnation, the self-judgment and beating yourself up with negative self-talk, the, the anxiety and the stress and the worry, there is an invitation by Jesus. Come and follow me. 
and learn from me and receive all that I am freely giving. Paul, he continues, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. What a claim of Paul's. He says you are still sinful, but don't let sin reign in you. Don't let it be the master that you are surrendering your life to. What does this look like in practice? Well, it has to start with the realization that it's in this gift God has given, being joined with Him, that you have any ability to, in any way, not sin. And then after that, to surrender yourself to a new master is a lifelong journey. Nobody, not one of us, will ever be there perfectly this side of Christ's return. There will always be something more we hold on to, some little bit of Bernie we cling to and say, don't take that from me. There will always be something we struggle with that's harder than others to let go of. And so this life with Jesus, this newness of life requires from you and me practice. And it requires practice because the whole world wants to tell us a different way to live. Everything in ourselves wants to tell us a different way to live. And so we as Christians present our bodies, our minds, our hearts, all of who we are to God so that sin may not reign in us. And we find habits and customs and things that will begin to work in us. See, if we were enslaved to sin, what Paul is about to say is there is something good for you and me. You are not free to do as you please. You are now actually enslaved to something else. He continues, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin which leads to death, or of obedience which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. But just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. See, in our lives, we can not choose to be sinless. But we can choose to present everything we do before the Lord. God, let the words that I speak be pleasing to you. 
Let the meditations of my heart bring you honor. Let me live in such a way that you are magnified and I am not. Let me live with repentance that says I have gotten it wrong. Let me be quick to seek forgiveness and even quicker to give it. We can be slaves, servants of a whole different master. Not sin that leads to death, but righteousness that leads to life. And we surrender ourselves through practice. You see, every one of us is becoming more and more like something. We want to believe in the freedom of the individual, that it's all about me and I can determine my own path. But the truth is, not one of us are free because we are shaped by the world around us and the culture we live in. We become like the people we are around and the things we learn and the practices we, we habituate, the things that we live out every day on purpose and on accident shape us into a certain kind of image. The image of ourselves or this world or an enemy of sin or the image of Christ and His righteousness and His goodness. We are slaves to something. But we in Christ can choose to be slaves to that which is good. To be shaped and formed into the image we were created to live in. The image of a God who is righteous and perfect and whole in every way. And while we always like an object in a mirror will be a little bit imperfect and blurry and not quite the original, we can day after day become a little bit more like Him. We present ourselves to Him to righteousness which leads to sanctification. A life that is progressively changing and becoming more whole. That, that's what sanctification means at its core really is a life that is slowly over time being transformed. Elsewhere, Paul, he writes that we take captive every thought and surrender it to Jesus. Just as all of our thoughts want to hold us captive in sin and hold us in bondage, we in Christ get to submit those to Jesus. Say, it's not about me. It's all about you. And we become new people. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. When you're living sinfully, freely, doing whatever you please, you can do whatever you please but you are free from all the good that comes from righteousness. You simply don't experience it. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? I love how Paul pulls no punches. You can do whatever you want, but did it lead you to anywhere good? I think every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, know of times when decisions we made were fun, or exciting, or felt right, and only left us hurt and broken later. Paul says you can chase that and pursue that. You're free to do so. But you will always get the fruit of what you're pursuing. Do you want that? And if you and I want the peace, and the love, and the joy, and the gentleness, and all the things God has promised, maybe we should begin pursuing together the God who promises them. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, 
The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you and I, having been baptized, are already becoming somebody new. This can happen on purpose or an accident. When it happens on accident, it will rarely be who you want it to be. Because the weight and the pressure of this world against you will always, always be too much for you alone to bear. But when on purpose we submit everything to Christ and we let go of that old dead self and say, this is not who I want to be. And we begin to practice a new life. It will transform us. Here in this place, you've probably heard us in the past talk about some very practical practices that you can do. Things you can each day choose. Will this help me become more like Jesus or not? Like in this world of hurry and noise, you can practice silence and solitude. I'll tell you what, I hate silence. Unless it's silence from my kids. But silence with my own thoughts, with my own sin, that can be incredibly revealing. But it's in that place of silence that God can speak. We've talked about the practice of prayer. You and I can begin to learn how do we orient our life each day to talk to God and to talk with God and to listen to God and to ultimately learn how to simply be content being with Him. That when sorrow and pain and hardship and temptation and all of these things arise, we have a place to go to out of muscle memory and habit to say this is where I find peace and strength and hope. We've talked about the practice of Sabbath among others making a regular rhythm of stopping. Saying I am not in control and I cannot fix this world. So I'll simply learn to exist in it with God. Beginning next week, we're going to start a new practice, one you've probably heard of before because it's talked about often, but it's almost never actually practiced. In fact, coming up in a couple of weeks is Lent, and Lent usually in the church includes a season of fasting, setting aside something for the sake of the Lord. Beginning next week, we're going to talk about how this practice of fasting will bring out the worst in you. I promise. You ever gone a few hours without eating? You, you ever heard of being hangry? I think almost every one of us experiences it. Imagine if you go more than a few hours without eating, but on purpose. You will find the sinful side of you you did not know existed. But you'll also be invited through this practice to connect with Jesus to find in Him your source of life and hope and peace and joy. And over time, not the first or second or third time you do it, as you begin to practice fasting, which we will talk about beginning next week in depth, you will find that you are less reliant upon your daily food and more reliant upon the One who gives it to you each and every day as you need you will find that that hunger begins to subside as you surrender that anger that comes from being hungry to the Lord and He begins to work in you a newness of life. That it's not just when you're hungry, but when you're sad or struggling or hurting, 
In all things you can find in Him contentment and peace and joy. This is the life that we at the point believe every Christian is invited to. To come as you are with all of your brokenness. And only in Jesus. Not through me. Not through the things we sing. Not through the stuff we do. Only as you learn to be with Him and to walk with Him can you begin to become a whole new person. Not one who stops sinning, but one who begins to surrender all of that sin to Him. God, I can't change this, but You can. Help me each day to walk in such a way that I am surrendering myself to be a slave, not of sin, but of righteousness. That I may bear the fruit in me and through me that brings You all glory and honor. Will you pray with me? God, for those of us who have been baptized into Christ, we will be raised in Christ as well. Lord, this is not just a future promise, but a present reality each day. Teach us, Lord, to surrender our life that You may reign in us. To recognize the sources of hurt and the places of sin that we continue to walk in. Teach us, God, to lay them all before You. Lord, may we be transformed in the newness of life. Not to boast in ourselves or celebrate our goodness. But God, to reveal You and Your power and Your grace to a world that is hurting and broken and far from You. God, we ask that You would teach us each day what it looks like to be with You. To find our strength and our contentment in You. God, as we are no longer slaves to sin, help us to see that that does not give us freedom to live entirely for ourselves, but instead invites us to live for You, with You in all things. So Lord, we pray now together as You taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.